Gracious God, we thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to us that while we were uh, dead in our sins and trespasses, uh, you sent your Son to be a light uh, to the world, to give us life, to open our eyes and our ears that we might see and hear the good news of your resurrection and conquering of death that we too might have this hope of eternal life. We thank you that uh, after uh, Jesus ascended into heaven, you left the church with faithful servants and witnesses of whom we study in the book of Acts, that we too might uh, hear the good news and to hear of your faithful testimony to your servants and how you help them to be faithful witnesses to you. And we pray that you would give us the humble hearts to be your faithful servants and that we would be witnesses to you, even willing to endure much hardship uh, in order to be faithful to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Teach us this morning by your Spirit. Uh, may we be united together by the bonds of our common Savior and the common spirit that unites us to him, uh, that we would be one in Christ as we seek to study uh, the good news of Christ and the hope of Jew and Gentile alike. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. And as you turn there, uh, I'll remind you where we are. So we're in this final quarter of the Acts of the Apostles, this section that started back in chapters 21 to 28, uh, whose main uh, theme is uh, defense. And we see Paul repeatedly giving defenses, not just of himself, but of the faith to which he bears witness. Um, and this, as we turn to 26, we'll see the fifth major defense Paul's made. He made that defense uh, before the crowd that's dragged him from the temple. He made a defense before the Sanhedrin. He made a defense before Governor Felix. And then as we saw last week, he made a defense in, uh, before this new Roman governor, Festus. So in the past three chapters, Paul's made these defenses, but for personal and political reasons, he's remained in prison um, for two years until the arrival of a new governor that we saw last week in chapter 25, rekindled interest in the imprisoned apostle. As we talked about last week, hoping to take advantage of Festus's ignorance of the circumstances in um, Judea, uh, the Jewish leaders requested him to grant them a favor by bringing Paul to Jerusalem for a trial. But in reality, as Luke tells us, they've renewed their earlier plot to assassinate Paul on the way. Festus instead agrees to a hearing in Caesarea, and after hearing the accusations against Paul, asks the apostle if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem. Paul, um, seeing that he would get no real justice in Jerusalem, instead declared that he could only find justice in Roman courts and claimed his right as a Roman citizen to have Caesar hear his case. Uh, relieving him of the dilemma of possibly turning a man whom he sees as innocent over to the Jews, Festus now had to figure out how to, uh, or what to say concerning Paul's case. 
the arrival of King Agrippa and his sister Bernice in the second half of chapter 25 allowed him to get the advice of, um, of someone who understood uh, Judaism. And when uh, Paul, or I mean, when Agrippa states his desire to hear Paul for himself, uh, Festus is given an occasion to have this um, setting, which Luke described at the end of chapter 25 as being one of great pomp. As Paul is bought, brought before the assembly, of the highest rulers in Palestine, both kings and Roman governors and tribunes alike. So in short, chapter 25 demonstrated the Lord's direction of events to fulfill his earlier promises to Paul. Um, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, um, God had told Paul in chapter 9. Take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. God continued to protect Paul from the plots of men, even as Paul used the Roman legal system to present a case for Christianity before powerful men and women, and ultimately get to Rome. So today, in chapter 26, we'll see how he once again makes a defense, or apologia is the word in the Greek, um, not so much of his himself and of the specific actions that have led to his rest, or arrest, but um, a defense of the hope to which he bears witness. Um, so with that, uh, let me um, read chapter 26 for us, and I'll actually start in chapter 25, Verse 23, just again to set the scene uh, for this uh, speech of Paul. So here now, God's word, starting in Acts 25, verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. And then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God 
to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when, the, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen, in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, 
And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we discuss it this morning. So here Paul is before this uh, august audience that Luke has, has taken time to set this scene before us. Um, so what does Paul, as he comes before this crowd, what does he say he's really on trial for? Um, as he makes his defense, what's brought him to this point? Yeah, Chris. Yeah, and that emphasis, you know, that he has in these first, um, this first section. I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made to God, by God to our fathers, um, of our religion. Uh, you know, it, he's using that plural first-person pronoun to emphasize, I'm not standing before you alone as a religious innovator or some instigator of something new, I'm standing before you because of my hope in the promises made by God our Father who has brought these promises to fulfillment in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so he is looking, he's, he's looking at the, the law and prophets and saying, it's because of my faithfulness to those promises that I'm standing before you, not because I violated those promises or that law. Good. What else would you say, uh, or how else does Paul um, mount his defense? And that word defense, you know, we get our word apologetics or apology um, comes from that. So he's, he's making this um, defense, again, not just, as, as Chris said, not just of himself personally, but of this, the Christian understanding of the Old Testament. So he is, I mean, he, he has some Jewish ancestry, let's put it that way. Um, but he's a ruler, so he's the great-grandson of Herod, who 
um, was king when Jesus was born. And then he was the, he's the son of the Herod who uh, we saw get executed earlier. So he, he um, as his great-grandfather had, you know, he has that, you know, king of the Jews ancestry, um, or at least the claim. Um, but, um, and, and notice Paul, you know, repeatedly, uh, and again, customary to begin a speech by flattering the person you're speaking to. <laughs> uh, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Um, and then later, you know, at the end, he makes that pointed, you know, uh, and as, as Chris just said, he's made this case, this is what the prophets taught, and then the, this kind of pointed statement to Agrippa at the end. Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Um, you know, um, so he's, he's certainly, um, Paul is certainly um, preaching to him as he would a Jew. Um, so whether he, you know, to the degree, degree which he practices Judaism, you know, Josephus described him as, you know, a faithful man, but he's also very much a Roman collaborator in the Gentile world. So um, the degree of his faithfulness of his Judaism, you know, we don't have the sources to understand that. But Paul is preaching to him as a Jew. I think that's pretty clear. Um, yeah, let's save that one because that's later in the passage. So we'll come back. You know, I want us to spend some time at the end kind of considering both Agrippa and Festus's response. But for the first part of your comment, uh, it's interesting that Agrippa is the one kind of at the forefront of these proceedings. Notice he's the one who speaks to Paul and says, you have permission to, to speak uh, for yourself. So rather than it being Festus who's running the show here, um, Agrippa is the one who is addressing Paul, and Paul is addressing his words to Agrippa. Like, so, um, so yeah, the focus is on, as, as Luke's narrating it, is that this whole thing has been set up to bring Paul before someone who is familiar both with Roman law and with Jewish law and custom, um, someone who is who's knowledgeable of the Jewish scriptures. So Agrippa is is you know running this, and again, it's not a trial because it's you know he's made his appeal, so they can't decide anything. And as we see at the end, they can't change what's already happened, Paul's made his declaration to appeal to a higher court. So they can't settle anything this day. Um, but it's more this hearing to get information. And Agrippa is the one uh, who Festus seems to be relying on to get to the heart of, of you know, what should we say about Paul? 
um, how, do we, how do we treat this man and explain why we're sending him to the emperor in Rome? Yeah, I mean, that's what he's saying. Um, you know, it's not this, you know, you know we know he, he's been the principal crime is bringing a Gentile into the temple. But he's saying, that's not why they've dragged me before you. Um, I, I'm being dragged before you because, you know, of, of this hope. You know, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? And then later, um, I stand here testifying both to the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both to our people and to the Gentiles. So, yeah, that he, it's the resurrection that is the stumbling block um, here. That that is really, yeah, they're saying it's because I defiled the temple. That's not it. Um, I'm here because they're refusing to believe my testimony concerning the resurrection. Um, which, again, as we get into Paul's testimony, he gives, gives us his, his story. You know, at the center part of that story is Paul's encounter, not just with Jesus, but the resurrected Jesus. The, you know, it's resurrection, even though, you know, Festus is going to say, your learning's driven you mad. Paul's not really appealing to his learning in this. He's appealing to his experience of the of this person who spoke to him, who appeared to him, who tangibly directed him to do the things he subsequently has done in keeping with this hope um, of the prophets and the resurrection from the dead. Yes, Bill. Yeah, and it's made me rethink, um, I was thinking a lot on this week, um, you know, the Gospels are really hard on the Pharisees, um, and I've often, you know, done the typical, the way our culture understands a Pharisee is a hypocrite, like that's how we kind of, you know, make those two words synonyms, but I, you know, reading this, um, and how Paul repeatedly goes back, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, like, you know, and I was blind to the fact that the resurrection to which, as a Pharisee, I believed in had taken place. Um, you know, and it's this idea that the, the Pharisees um, are the ones, you know, according to the strictest piety of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Um, and if anybody should have known and recognized the appearance of Jesus. It should have been the Pharisees. They believed in resurrection. They knew the law and the prophets pointed to the, you know, this coming person. But, you know, but they were blind to the fact. And um, it, it, so I've been thinking a lot about, you know, again, it's not just the Pharisees 
um, because they're, you know, as Jesus described, you know, they're whitewashed tombs. Um, and as we saw Paul kind of make a similar accusation against the high priest a couple weeks ago. Um, but it's, you know, of the people who should have known and recognized the signs of the coming of the kingdom, um, should have recognized the fulfillment of prophecy and Jesus are the ones who are in darkness. Um, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and that's the irony, isn't it? That here Paul is on trial. Um, you know, he's been uh, condemned by the Jewish leaders for doing what Paul basically says, you know, is being a faithful Jew. <laughs> and being a faithful Jew means believing in the hope of the resurrection. Um, one commentator, I, I like this short summary of Paul's argument here. The true Jew must be, become a Christian in order to remain a Jew. Um, and that's, that seems to be a, a, what Paul's saying. Like, it is because of my Judaism it's because of my belief in the God of our fathers. It's because of my understanding of the law and the prophets that I stand before you testifying to the hope of resurrection um, and, and the purchase or the you know, first fruits of that resurrection is Jesus himself who God raised from the dead. Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, but but what he's really test. So if we get past the 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 vision part, what's not weird is how did I go from being a persecutor to persecuted? God did something in my life, and that's our story. Like it might not be as dramatic as the you know bright light at midday on the road to Damascus, but what we testify, we're not testifying to, and I think this is where we often stumble in trying to do evangelism. We, we try to, we want to explain Christianity in the abstract. Paul's not explaining Christianity in the abstract. Paul's explaining what, how Christianity changed him, um, you know, what God did in his life. Um, it's, you know, he, he's using that as the focal point of this defense of the gospel and how he understands the gospel is because he knows how the gospel has changed him. Um, I mean, I think I've said this before. Like, my first opportunity to ever share the gospel with someone was because they noticed I was different. They only saw me in the summers. It was my summer job um, that I worked throughout college. And so, you know, the first couple of years, I'm, you know, pre-Christian Steve, which wasn't a, a great employee, let's put it that way, um, unable to handle the pressures of my job well. Um, <laughs> and I can tell there are a lot of funny stories in the unable to handle my pressure job well. 
I, I worked in a mass production bakery, and um, one day I came to work, and they had hung a sign over my workstation saying, these pans cost $30 each. Please handle with care. Um, how about that for trying to, your employer trying to send you a message? Um, like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Cobb. I really appreciate that. Um, but, but, yeah, you know, and that's, like, I, I wasn't eloquent in the faith. Like, I didn't know my Bible yet, but I could say, yeah, I am different because, you know, in the past year, I've encountered Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, um, and I have this hope of a different life, and that hope is, is working itself out through me. Um, that now, you know, uh, as, as you know, Paul summarized earlier, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't because I was a better person, but because God had done something in me um, that led me to, in this case, handle my work in a very different way, um, where before I'm the unrepentant, I get mad, I throw pans across the pan stacking room. There was bread in them, so I was supposed to be saving the bread, but you know, I, I couldn't stack them with bread in it. Um, but, but, you know, handling my job very, very differently um, because now I'm a repentant, I'm still a sinner, <laughs> I, you know, but I'm a repentant sinner and I get to testify to the work God had done in my life. And that's basically what Paul's doing. I mean, again, it's a story of, yeah, it's the story of his encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and it's more dramatic than our story. But how did a persecutor of the church become one who's persecuted for the church? How did one who was um, zealous to um, put Christians to death, and notice here, it's, it's plural, um, Paul, if we actually see Paul confessing to crimes against the Roman state, this might be the closest he comes to do it because he says, you know, um, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So, you know, we saw Stephen get killed in this illegal fashion. Um, here he's using plural pronouns, so presumably there are other Christians who Jews and Paul participated in, in executing. And he's gone from one who you know, sought to put Christians to death to being one who's willing to be put to death for the sake of Christians. Um, it's, it's, you know, this dramatic conversion has taken place in Paul's life, and that's at the center point of his narration um, before these rulers. Um, it, it's, yeah, there's a lot of theology woven in that, but at the heart of it is his story um, and how his story has brought him to this understanding um, of what the, what the real heart of Judaism is.
Yeah, and notice it's, again, it's tangible. Like, you know, when he's talking about the persecutor, like when he's a persecutor, look, you can go out and find people who can testify to this. Like, this isn't me, like, you know, painting some, like, exaggerating the sins of my youth somehow. Like, no, this is, I was, you know, known to everyone. Um, you could go out here and find witnesses to bring before you to say, yes, we gave him letters to go to these places, and he joined in in the killing of Christians. Like, there's, there's a tangible um, difference between Paul then and Paul now. Um, and, you know, for, for me, like, uh, it's, I think it's one of the ways it's both easy and hard to witness to your family because my family knows me, they've known me longer than anybody else, and nobody knows the, de the depth of my sinfulness uh, <laughs> more than my brothers and sisters who've had to live with it. <laughs> um, and, um, and it's been hard because I don't get to see them and interact with them to the same degree, because we never lived in the same house. Sub, you know, I've never lived in the same household with them as a Christian. Like, there's... Pre-Christian me was the one they had to endure. And now it's like the rest of my life is, is living them, <laughs> trying to convince them that I'm really different. Uh, I don't cheat at, at Monopoly anymore. <laughs> um, I did. <laughs> I was really good at it. <laughs> um, but that's not me anymore. Like, you know, I used to, you know, um, like my, my I mean, Again, families are great. Like, you know, you ask my family, what do you remember about Steve? They'll tell you stories like, I used to hoard food under my bed. Like, my mom would go to the store. There were seven of us. So, you know, I was six of seven. I'm low down on the food receiving totem pole. So, you know, uh, you, you do a little midnight raid on the pantry and, and store up food you want. Um, uh, you know, and all, you know, you know, I can laugh now, but I mean, it's really, you know, this was the degree of my sinfulness. And, um, and how, you know, I, I've changed where now I'm not trying to be first in that food line, but, you know, I want everybody else to, to get theirs first. And, you know, God has done a work in me to, to tangibly change me. Um, and, you know, trying to live out those tangible changes before those people that know me. And again, it's um, having that ability to say, God has done something, uh, a definitive work in my life. And, and with the story of his conversion, like again, it's, it's um, as he narrates it, like it, he's describing, you know, it's, it's noon. Um, it's a bright light that's visible uh, even to those around me. Um, you know, everybody fell to the ground. Paul's the only one who sees Christ and perceives the words that Christ speaks to him. But other people, you know, know something is happening at this moment.
and that this is this this message isn't um, the result of abstract speculation, but it's the the rational demonstration of of what of of faith um, that faith has done something tangible, um, observable. Um, it it's worked um, in Paul's life as he has done what he's telling other people to do, to turn, to repent, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Like Paul is not putting something on on his audience that he hasn't done or hasn't experienced himself. Um, and as he's standing there before them, like again, it's the the idea I. Um, I'm doing this in obedience to, to, to the prophets. Do you believe the prophets? Like, um, you know, he, he's modeling the thing that he wants to, um, he, he's modeling the response that he wants to see from his audience. <laughs> yeah, and again, like, um, we can talk about, uh, and I like the Puritans, um, I, I think, are helpful on this. They can talk about conversion as a particular moment. Like, you know, again, the moment the blinders fall off and, and we perceive light, but also as a lifelong process. Like, you know, I'm not now. Who um, who I'm going to be? Um, God is is not done in in changing this sinner into a uh, to someone who is going to be clothed in perfect righteousness um, because it's a righteousness alien to me. That it's this work of perfecting me is a work that won't be completed um, until um, until God completes that work um, in me um, in in eternity. Um, and that's, um, a, as we see here, I, I like what the instantaneous thing, though, like, as you say, you, you rightly, you know, catch, like, for Paul, it's in a moment, and, and look at Agrippa's question, like, do you expect me to convert me uh, quickly <laughs> in a moment? And Paul just said, happened to me, <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, maybe we don't get Paul's, uh, you know, uh, answer like, you know, well, we get Paul's answer, whether short or long, I would be that God, not only you, uh, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Um, you know, it can be long, it can be short, um, but it's a work of God um, in you. Um, and that is Paul's hope for the audience he's, he's um, testifying to. And again, his defense here is evangelism. <laughs> like he's, he's not, this has nothing to do really with the charges that have let, left um, Paul in prison for two years. This is all about a defense of Christianity that, and that apologetic for the Christian message. Um, anything else you want to say or struck you about 
And Paul does pick up on a few other things um, in his testimony of his conversion. Um, and each time he's kind of emphasized different aspects. Um, like notice here, uh, like in the last two times Luke has given us Paul's conversion, there's been a lot of focus on Ananias here. Um, we don't hear as much about the, the human um, uh, accompaniment of this road to Damascus, but we know from earlier that um, even though it was instantaneous, there also was some shepherding um, that went on with Ananias um, and going to Paul and confirming Paul in this commission that God has given him. Um, you know, uh, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I've appeared to you with this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Um, you know, again, what a... Uh, um, what a commission, um, but also what a great kind of short summary of what the gospel message is. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, that we're in, in the book of, uh, of Luke and Acts. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, uh, losing my voice here. Um, Luke... In Luke and Acts, um, Luke has been emphasizing the fact that um, God calls us to be servants and witnesses. And these two things are, you know, again, I use faith and repentance as two sides of a penny. Um, servant and, and witness uh, can be two sides of the same coin as, as well. That, you know, this is the, the, you know, a great summary of, of who we're called to be, you know, servants of the Most High God and witnesses to his servant, Jesus Christ. All right, uh, let's uh, spend some time talking about uh, the two rulers' reactions to Paul. So, um, which was what Rob had asked about earlier. So, um, twice Festus uh, says, you're out of your mind. <laughs> you're out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you out of your mind. Um, yeah, so what do, we, uh, what do we make of these two hearers, uh, or two rulers, uh, not just hearers, but two rulers' reaction?
yeah, and this, and I think the stumbling block, you know, resurrection from the dead. Um, and for Romans, Romans didn't have a concept of bodily resurrection. Um, some had a concept of immortality of the soul. Even that wasn't universally um, accepted. But they had, but bodily resurrection, that is, you know, completely alien, foreign to them. You're talking a different language. Um, yeah, you, you know. You, you must be, be nuts to believe in that. And resurrection, of, you know, bodily resurrection, um, yeah, people have an easier time believing in zombies um, than they have in believing of this kind of eternal resurrection of the body. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, it, I think uh, Festus' response is that, that, that Roman or even Gentile response. He's not steeped in these beliefs in the Old Testament and prophets, and he's coming at this concept. You know, uh, it's a completely alien concept to him. Well, not Festus. Felix moves them for two years. So Felix is only, I mean, Festus has only been around for like, a couple of weeks at this point. Um, well, he's known, you know, we had the hearing before him last week. Um, and then, you know, we, and as we saw last week, like, uh, I, you know, we get a sense, because in chapter 25, Luke doesn't give the full speech that Paul made um, before him. But when Festus was summarizing it to Agrippa, um, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. So, you know, he, he knows that Paul has this belief in the resurrection of the dead and that he's used Jesus as, as we see Paul in Corinthians, like Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. We have hope of the resurrection of the dead, um, because we, we believe Jesus was raised from the dead. And if Jesus was, wasn't raised from the dead, we have no hope. Um, how could we hope in that? Like our, our faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. You know, the resurrected Christ is at the center of Paul's message and his hope. <laughs> yeah, I have to forward what down the line. <laughs> and, you know, this, we get this for the third time um, in this just last couple of chapters. Paul has declared, this man's done nothing wrong. He's, he's done nothing deserving death. Now it adds, not only has he deserved nothing, done nothing worthy of death, it adds, a, he, he hasn't even done anything worthy of imprisonment. <laughs> um, so, and, but we're forwarding him, you know, on to, to Rome. Um, yeah, so the, the dilemma there, like this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to, to Caesar. Um, like they've, uh, for the fifth time in, in this past seven chapters, the third time just in the last two chapters, Paul has declared, 
to be um, to to be innocent, to have done nothing worthy of death. Um, just like Christ, um, three times in a very short section in Luke, you have three people saying that he too had done nothing worthy of death, and yet he was executed anyway. The backroom conversation, it's a good question. Um, again, there are going to be documents, um, you know, so um, there would be documents, and just like our legal proceedings, Paul would have access to whatever, you know, whatever statements, pronouncements by judges are made. Um, if those things are written down or communicated, like he, he as the defendant would be, and as a, a Roman citizen, would be privy, just like, you know, the prosecution can't withhold. Yeah. Um, so with the, both this and then the last chapter, these kind of behind the scenes, some people have wondered, is, is Luke working off of some official documents? Um, and we have others, you know, from this period, you know, Roman judicial cases and the, the kinds of information that would be um, amassed in a court case. We have surviving examples of those. And so some people looking at those have sort of said that could be the source of, of Luke's information. <laughs> or, you know, the, the God who sees all and knows all <laughs> has revealed it to Luke. Like, I mean, they're there are lots of ways people sort of, how does Luke, you know, because there's, this is one of those things, well, you know, this is a made-up story because how would Luke have access to his backroom conversations? And, well, you know, again, Luke believes in a God who has access to backroom conversations to whom nothing is hidden. Um, but also, it was standard judicial, Roman judicial policy to make a record of things. And maybe in his letter that Festus is forwarding on, he's describing his consultation with you know, a local Jewish authority, King Agrippa, and together we, just, we think he's done nothing worthy of death or imprisonment, um, which might mean why Paul, um, when we get to the end of the book, why he seems to have so much freedom once he gets to Rome, because they don't really see him, in, you know, as a threat at that point. <laughs> yeah, um, and at this point, again, it's it's uh, Luke has kind of used that dilemma to set the scene why this hearing was, but his point isn't to figure out what Festus is going to write. His point is to show how Paul, when presented in this situation, faithfully witnessed to Jesus Christ. Like, you know, the whole writing the letter is the reason he gets this opportunity. And again, as we saw um, earlier, he, it's prophesied that he'll have the opportunity to speak before governors and kings, and he'll testify to Jesus Christ, he'll be a witness before high and low. Um, and that's what Paul's doing here. And that's Luke's real 
what his real interest. His interest isn't, okay, what did Festus write in his letter afterwards? His real interest is how is Paul, how is Paul able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the resurrection before the most powerful authority in Palestine. Um, and that, this is the reason why. Um, and what happens to, you know, we know he gets forwarded on to Rome. That's the other idea. How does Paul get to be a witness to Rome? As also was promised uh, and prophesied that you'll be my witness. As you were my witness in Jerusalem, so too you'll be my witness in Rome. And so he's interested in the legal proceedings um, only so far as they drive the, the narrative of how Paul is going to be a witness here before the, the powerful, and then how he's going to get to Rome to be a witness there. Other uh, things that struck you about this passage? We're almost at time. but uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, a great scene of, um, uh, of presenting the gospel. Um, again, he's, he's making this defense, not of himself personally, but making a defense of the rationality of his faith, um, the, 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 um, how his faith is a fulfillment of the promises made by God to the prophets, how this hope in resurrection um, isn't unreasonable, because why would it be unreasonable to believe that an all-powerful God wouldn't be able to um, restore life to the body? Um, Um, yeah, I mean, we don't know how frequently. We do know, like, Luke has given us at least one other tangible. Um, back in chapter 23, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So we know at least one other um, appearance of God before him. But, I, but to your point, um, you know, what we see here is as Paul's making this defense, this is, this is the full-blown gospel that we see worked out in Paul's later letters, um, in some previous letters to this. But like he, he's not, um, this is not a faith in um, evolving. Um, and sometimes, again, in, in um, people who um, are critical of, of Christianity and are skeptical about its origins often um, say Paul had changed the Christian message. Like he got the pure religion of Jesus and then Paul came along and mucked it up. Um, and here is, you know, Paul is presenting a very clear, concise understanding 
of the Christian message consistent with that of the other Gospels. So it, there is no there is no deviation, no deviation of Paul from Judaism, nor is there de deviation of Paul from the earlier um, teaching um, and belief about Jesus Christ. But it, he, he's on message um, from the get-go. All right, well, let me close our time in prayer. Um, gracious God, we pray that you would help us, give us the wills to be as Paul did, um, a faithful servant in witness to you, um, that we could speak your truth. Um, and uh, our focus should be on speaking it um, faithfully, um, being faithful witnesses to the good news of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And whether it, that good news has effect in the short term or the long term on the people we testify to, um, that is in your hands. It's our job to be faithful witnesses and to leave uh, the work of that witness uh, to you as you change and work in people's hearts, uh, giving light to those in darkness, giving sight to those who are blind, giving ears to those who are deaf, giving life to those who are dead in their sins and trespasses. Uh, help us celebrate that good news of your gospel, to serve you faithfully by worshiping you, um, even as we come in this coming hour uh, together um, around a table um, that commemorates not just Christ's sacrificial death, but uh, the life that he gives um, through his resurrected body. And we ask that you would help us to um, be faithful uh, um, partakers of that sacrament as we anticipate um, celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb with you in heaven um, in our, as we continue to express our hope in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>